initially a, just a very mild headache and I thought I'd had a single glass of red wine the night before and I thought, oh, maybe it was a rough wine or something. It's one of those very mild headaches that you might get after you've had a rough glass. So I immediately I asked my husband, who luckily was at home that morning, I asked him to get me a, a headache pill because I thought I just needed to have a quick headache pill and I'd be fine. <laughs> The pain in my head really intensified and I passed out. So when he came back in the room and found me passed out, he realised it was more than just a headache and he called the ambulance. And the ambulance came quickly and took me in to our local A&E in Tunbridge Wells, which at that point was called the Kent and Sussex Hospital. And I clearly remember the paramedics arriving and putting me on the stretcher. I remember that I was sick when that happened because the the mother in me, the mother and housewife in me wanted to stop and clear up the sick, but the paramedics just said, no, 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 leave that. <laughs> Put me on the stretcher and carried me down the stairs. And as I was going down the stairs, I could see through the bars of the banisters that my two little girls, were watching me. I was discharged from Seven Oats to come home, but when I was discharged, everyone was very excited that I was able to come home for Christmas. But it became clear very rapidly that I would be coming home, but I was still a patient. I wasn't in any way better, because when I came home, I was still being peg-fed, you know, with a tube into your stomach. I couldn't eat food when I came home and I couldn't sit. So I was being hoisted to get me into anything like a wheelchair and so on. Hello, Mark Goodyear here. Welcome to Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. In this episode, we hear from Lisa Beaumont from Tunbridge Wells. Lisa had a stroke at the age of 44. Before I had my brain hemorrhage, I was a busy mother of two primary school age children and I had a very I had a part-time job working in marketing in Tunbridge Wells for a local theatre. It was a lot of fun because I really enjoy creative activities. So I'd found a job that fitted in perfectly with our lifestyles because it was part-time and I could look after the girls when they doing the school run and things like that. And my husband and I had been married 12 years before the hemorrhage, and he was busy working mainly overseas at at the time. I woke up one Saturday morning with a, initially just a very mild headache, and I thought I'd had a single glass of red wine the night before, and I thought, oh, maybe it was a rough, wine or something. It's one of those very mild headaches that you might get after you've had a rough glass. So I immediately, I asked my husband, who luckily was at home that morning, I asked him to get me a a headache pill because I thought I just needed to have a quick headache pill and I'd be fine. (laughs) So he went off to get it. And whilst he was getting it, the pain in my head really intensified and I passed out. So when he came back in the room and found me passed out, 
he realised it was more than just a headache and he called the ambulance and the ambulance came quickly and took me in to our local A&E in Tunbridge Wells, which at that point was called the Kent and Sussex Hospital. And I clearly remember the paramedics arriving and putting me on the stretcher. I remember that I was sick when that happened because the the mother in me, the mother and housewife in me wanted to stop and clear up the sick, but the paramedics just said, no, 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 leave that, <laughs> put me on the stretcher and carried me down the stairs. And as I was going down the stairs, I could see through the bars of the banisters that my two little girls were watching me being carried down the stairs on the stretcher. And at that point, none of us had any idea what lay ahead, whether I was effectively being carried out of their lives in front of their eyes or not. So I went into local A&E and from there was fairly rapidly transferred up to King's in London for treatment because they had the facilities at King's, which were more than our local A&E hospital could offer. And while I was in King's, they had to intervene by delivering something directly into the into my brain. And whilst they were doing that procedure, unfortunately, the procedure caused a secondary stroke. So I had, I've had two strokes, the original brain hemorrhage and then the secondary stroke, which took place during treatment at King's. Following a craniotomy, Lisa spent almost a year in hospital and rehab. So I was in our local hospital and King's in London, and then King's transferred me back to Tunbridge Wells, and then Tunbridge Wells transferred me to West Kent Neuro Rehab Hospital in Sevenoaks. So I spent a long time in Sevenoaks as well. I was discharged from Seven Eights to come home. But when I was discharged, everyone was very excited that I was able to come home for Christmas. But it became clear very rapidly that I would be coming home, but I was still a patient. I wasn't in any way better because when I came home, I was still being peg fed, you know, with a tube into your stomach. I couldn't eat food when I came home and I couldn't sit so I was being hoisted to get me into anything like a wheelchair and so on. I was still left side paralysed and living with a lot of disabilities. So although I was coming home, I wasn't coming home as me. I was coming home as a somebody who was still at the start of their recovery journey. The Neuro Rehab facility was brilliant. They would give you a timetable of activities that filled every day with a mix of neurophysiotherapy and speech and language therapy and occupational therapy. So you your day would be filled with different types of therapy, which was brilliant because it meant that you didn't, you felt you were able to do something about getting better. You weren't just lying in a hospital bed all day but obviously at that early stage one of the biggest impacts that any type of stroke gives anyone is the fatigue and the exhaustion as your 
as your body adapts to its new existence. So it was very, very hard to for me to put all the effort and energy into all those therapies whilst I was in rehab because I was fighting against the fatigue. And alongside the fatigue, I had the disabling condition of dysphagia, which means that you can't swallow, loss of swallow. And that means not only can you not eat or drink anything, but you can't swallow your own saliva either. So you're just dribbling. So throughout all of the therapy program, I would be having to hold tissues to my mouth and so on. And after the whole year of not, I had the whole year I was unable to eat, drink or swallow my saliva. So that's why at the end of it, they, before I could be discharged, I had to have the peg fitted, the tube fitted for feeding me because I'd lost so much weight that they felt that I didn't have the strength in my body to make any recovery until they bulked me up a bit. So I was um, fitted with a peg. So that's why I came home with the tube palaver. I feel that I have done well. I've definitely exceeded expectations of many of the clinicians with whom I had contact in the early days. I was in a coma for three weeks at one stage and I was on life support and, you know, I was in the most extreme situation that could be considered, so much so that my husband was advised to bring the girls in to see me so that they could say goodbye to me. So they came in to say goodbye. And 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 most importantly, when they came in, they read me some poetry that I used to read with them when I was at home. And my immediate family credits the girls reading me poetry as being the trigger that helped pull me out of the coma and get me to start breathing independently. So the poetry was really the start of the recovery. At one stage, I was classified on the Glasgow Coma Scale, GCS3. And GCS3 means that you're basically, you know, a no-hoper. So that's why I can say that I've confounded the medics, because I was GCS3 and I'm doing the things that I do now. To help her adapt to life after stroke, Lisa returned home with a live-in care plan. Here, she shares how she feels she's progressed so far on her recovery journey. I feel very good at the moment. I still live with ongoing disabilities. I'm hemiplegic, which means I'm completely left side paralysed. So it's life with only one functional leg and one functional arm, which is obviously limiting. And I also totally lost the peripheral vision in my left side, which means that I am partially sighted and my sight issues cause problems. It would be very wrong for me to give an impression that I'm somehow better. I'm not better, but I'm managing really well to do a lot in the situation that I find myself in, which is what I would, one of the things I would say to everyone is just where you are, make it work for you. So I, nowadays, what I do is I spend time every day improving. I 
still do daily exercise and rehab activities for myself, for my own improvement. I work, I set myself up as a freelance small business. I have a small business that I run and I volunteer for Different Strokes by run, running the West Kent Different Strokes local peer support group, which brings together stroke survivors of working age in West Kent with the mission of helping, enabling them to live well after stroke at working age. Different Strokes is a national charity which serves the needs of those people who experience stroke at working age. So that can be anything. Well, the, the age bracket that they refer to is 15 to 65. So basically you have to be under 65, so not below retirement age. And Different Strokes recognises that for people that have strokes when they're young, which is a quarter of all strokes that happen in the UK happen to people who are under 65. So there's a very high incidence of stroke in young people and their needs are very different because they've still got their life ahead, their life where they can work hard to recover. So they have needs like returning to work and how to raise a family after a stroke and many different issues that are unique to people who are young when they have their stroke rather than the more traditional elderly age group which is served so well by the Stroke Association. I found different strokes by chance thanks to one of my neuropsychotherapists who put me in contact with them via their fantastic Facebook group that they have and I found it very, very rewarding to discover other people who were mothers and younger people. And after I chatted to people in the Facebook group for some, quite some time, I decided it would be so much better to actually meet people in real life because I'm naturally a people person. That's the kind of person I am. So... I wanted to meet people in real life. So I decided to look for a group that I could join because the Stroke Association, they run a lot of face-to-face -face peer support groups, but the age group there is often far older. So I looked for a group of my age people, but Different Strokes didn't have a group anywhere near me in, in West Kent. So I decided that I would set up a group myself. So I thought, well, hey, if you want something to happen, you have to make it happen for yourself. So I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky that my experience and my skills prior to the stroke were that I'm a fully qualified marketing professional. So I could use all my marketing skills to find other stroke survivors in Tunbridge Wells and to find a means and a location to hold the meetings. So we now, now we meet and I found loads of really amazing people and it's worrying. I mean, I still get new joiners almost weekly in West Kent, which shows why it's so important that the facility is there because stroke at working age is so prevalent. 
So we have different strands to the support that the group, the group that I set up offers. We have a weekly neurophysio exercise program that's led by a neurophysiotherapist from a wonderful company called Neuro Rehab Kent, which is based in Seven Oaks, offering private neuro support. But obviously, one of the issues for all survivors of working age is that most people find that they can't return to the job that they had when they had their stroke. So finances become restricted after the stroke. So as a group, we're able to offer support where we can split the cost between us. So it means that we offer neurophysio exercise support weekly at a subsidized rate that makes it more affordable than if you were going to a private provider as an individual. So it ticks the boxes for being good for the attendees' social, mental and physical health recovery at a price that they can afford. So it's really rewarding for me to see that I've put that exercise group together and then and I go and I'm improving my walking and so on. And I we all kind of get encouragement from watching each other improve. And then alongside the weekly exercise group, I run a monthly meeting where we get together and I invite a guest speaker who will talk on a topic that is of relevance to rehab. So we have a monthly meeting with a guest speaker and then we use those opportunities to chat and catch up with each other and offer each other tips and support. And I we have a WhatsApp group so that throughout the week we can just message each other and share information that's useful to each other. Because the thing about stroke recovery is there is so much support and information out there, but the biggest challenge for any stroke survivor is navigating your way through to find the right solution for you. And other experienced survivors like me can help point the way to newcomers and because most issues relating to stroke recovery, I have experienced myself and helped other people with. So I can answer pretty much any question that any stroke survivor in West Kent asks me about where, where to get help on stroke topics. Coming up, Lisa talks about her work with Survive and Thrive. And hope is okay. So I'm working at the moment on a project with King's Health Partners, which is called, it's called Survive and Thrive. And it's going to be a compendium of first person stories where the patients describe what happened to them and what they've gone on to do since so that it can give both patients and their care bubble, their family supporters, a glimpse of what is possible in the future. And the difference between being a patient and a survivor. When you're a patient, you're, you're passive and things are done to you and you feel that you're in other people's hands. Whereas so, as soon as you recognize that you're a survivor and not a patient, you have to switch from being passive to becoming active. And you must realize that you can thrive 
if you strive, if you put the work in, you can get better. Let's hear how, with the help and support of her family, Lisa was able to return to work. I was keen to return to work. I didn't actually ever want to leave my marketing job at the theatre, but when I first came home and I was in a wheelchair being hoisted and peg-fed and so on, it became apparent rapidly that I wasn't able to go back to the job, so the theatre had to let me go, which was a very big disappointment to me. And then when I spent many months lying around trying to get stronger, the main thing I had in, was like the thoughts in my head is what you've got. So I was just thought about what I can do. And I know that what I can do is marketing. So I decided that I wanted to go back and find a marketing role. So initially I looked at applying for jobs, but I realized that there were a lot of barriers with the whole paralysis and fatigue, having to manage fatigue. Cause I, I still eat to this day. I rest two till five every afternoon to manage my neuro fatigue. So any work I do do is constituted in, into the morning only. So that makes doing a real proper job somewhat out of reach. So I decided because I knew that I can still do all the marketing stuff that I know I can in my head. I decided to set myself up as an independent freelance marketing consultant, which I created a type of marketing that I've named Thrifty Marketing, which is for small businesses, sole traders and non-profit organizations who don't have any budget for marketing. Because the people that need marketing most are organizations that have no budget and people think, oh, no, I haven't got any budget. I can't do marketing. Well, that's absolutely wrong. So I decided to create and share thrifty marketing. So that's what I do now. And I find it really rewarding that I can still use my professional skills to build businesses and build charities without costing them anything. And here is Lisa's advice for stroke survivors and their loved ones. My advice for other survivors of stroke is, first of all, find an age-appropriate support group because meeting other people who have experienced something similar to you is where you will find the most empathy and understanding of your situation. And it's very, very encouraging when you see other people who've been where you've been and you see that they've made progress so that's number one find age appropriate support group second concentrate on what you can do the biggest mistake that any stroke survivor can make is to think of what they used to do in their previous life and how that's made difficult by the disabilities that the stroke may have given them. Because if you think about those problems, you will hold yourself back. If you think about what you can do, that's how you can move forward. And you just design it, your, a new life around you based on what you can do now. That's the starting point. And I would say also that a survivor of stroke should 
recognize that being a survivor is very different from being a patient. When you're a patient, you're you're passive and things are done to you and you feel that you're in other people's hands. Whereas so, as soon as you recognize that you're a survivor and not a patient, you have to switch from being passive to becoming active. And you must realize that you can thrive if you strive, if you put the work in, you can get better. It is possible to recover and to create a new life for yourself, which is fulfilling after stroke. But you have to be the one that takes charge of making that happen. Yeah, definitely take charge. And to carers, I want everyone to know, I want everybody to feel to feel hopeful and to know that it's okay to be hopeful. It's one area which is missing massively in the input that you get on your stroke journey within the NHS is that at no stage are you given any hope. Because I understand clinicians are so nervous about giving false hope to people because they don't know who they're dealing with. Another thing I say to the survivor and to the caregiver is that you're, you have to remember that you're still you. You're still you. You're just you after a stroke, that's all. And if you were whatever characteristics you were before the stroke, that's still the person's in there now. And you just have to find a new way of letting that person come out. So the caregivers must feel hopeful that it's okay the person that they married or lived with is still there. You've just got to find the way of helping them to be themselves in a new situation. And hope is okay. So I'm working at the moment on a project with King's Health Partners, which is called, it's called Survive and Thrive. And it's going to be a compendium of first person stories where the patients describe what happened to them and what they've gone on to do since so that it can give both patients and their care bubble, their family supporters, a glimpse of what is possible in the future. So throughout the year when I couldn't swallow, at no point did any clinician ever say to me that there was a chance that my swallow would return. So I had mentally adjusted myself to thinking that for the rest of my entire life, I was going to be fed by a tube and that I'd never sit around a table for a family meal again or go out for dinner with my husband and stuff like that. And I'd kind of make, had to make that mental adjustment because I didn't know that it was possible for the swallow to recover. But it can it can come back, and mine did. Mine came back once I came home for that Christmas fairly rapidly once I got home. And that's part of my advice for carers is that do never underestimate how important your support is in the recovery of your loved one. Following Lisa's stroke, 
She's relearned to walk with a stick and can now safely navigate her own home. Along with the rota of live-in carers, her family's also played a big part in her recovery progress, and she's now helping other stroke survivors do the same through her different strokes-affiliated support group. Thank you very much for listening and supporting Stroke Stories. Please do share with anybody you think it might help. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and there's a story you can share, please get in touch via X or Instagram. Our DMs are always open. The Stroke Stories podcast is produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. Thank you.